Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we are in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to talk about Jesus' bold statement about plundering the strong man's house. But before we get to that, I'd like to ask a question. And maybe you've been asking this question of your friends as you shake your heads, like, what's going on in our world? Uh, It seems like division and darkness, uh, confusion in our universities, our politics, our laws, our morals, some of our German bishops, and you think, what is happening? And, And even maybe a more difficult question, how do I explain to my children why all this is happening? And of course, you have to start with how do I explain it to myself? And today, we're going to be looking at a seemingly harmless little verse in Matthew chapter 12 that may help answer that question why the world seems to have gone crazy over the last few decades. We're looking at Matthew 12 and verse 29, but just to get a little context, I'm going to start the verse before Matthew 12, 28. And here's what Jesus said. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Uh, I love Jesus, and I know all Christians love Jesus, but uh, one aspect that I really like about Jesus is Matthew 12, 29. Uh, this is actually a very simple explanation about a very complex topic. And to me, it's a mark of genius that somebody can take something so complex and so complicated and make it seem really simple to understand. Okay, you got a, a real mafia-type guy uh, in a house, and you want to plunder the house. What do you have to do? You have to first go tie the guy up, and then you can let him sit there and watch you plunder his house. And that's what Jesus said. But what does that have to do with saying, I'm casting out demons, and the power of the kingdom of God has come in my person? What What is all this talking about? Well, One of the things that you need to know as a parent, and you should communicate to your children, and I must say, I don't think this is being taught in Catholic schools, catechism classes, or even Catholic colleges too much, but there are three basic stages to human history following the fall that relate directly to this verse, Matthew 12, 29. The first era was the Old Testament era, And during the Old Testament times, the light, the revelation, the knowledge of God was given to the nation Israel. But during that entire scope of time, the Gentile nations were in darkness. 
a demonic darkness, kind of a, a spell that blinded their minds from seeing the truth. And depravity of unspeakable proportions was going on. Uh, Moloch worship, where people thought it was great for the economy to burn their baby alive, uh, human sacrifice, all kinds of depraved morals. And the idea, and we celebrate this around Christmas time, scripture readings from Isaiah 9 and hymns, uh, Epiphany. Isaiah 9.2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So in other words, before the great light came, before the kingdom came in the person of Christ, there was a profound darkness that blinded the Gentile nation's minds that made them literally at times lose their reason, descend into all types of immorality and an explosion of things really unimaginable, almost inhuman. And then the light came. St. Paul says this in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. A lot of people know this verse because it's about spiritual warfare, but I'm not exactly sure if we really grasp the full implications of what he's saying. St. Paul says, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are spiritual beings that before Christ came, were able to keep the entire Gentile world from seeing the truth about the one true God. And as a result, their world was way off course, like our world is getting off course. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but in the new covenant, with the coming of Christ, things changed. It doesn't mean that the demonic powers have all of a sudden gone away, or if we tried to expand the kingdom, we're not going to run into a good fight. And that's what spiritual warfare is about. But it does mean they've been prevented from deceiving the world. They, they're, they're bound from being able to keep the Gentile nations in darkness. Now, I got ahead of myself, but okay. The first step, the Old Testament era, the entire Gentile world was walking in darkness. Their entire course of life, their mental activity, their physical activity, their morals, their structures, their politics was darkness. Then you have the second era of human history, and that's post-crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This is the New Testament era. Now, at this point in history, the world rulers of the present darkness can no longer keep the Gentile nations from seeing the light of Christ. And Matthew 12, 29 is perhaps one of the most gigantic clues to explaining really the whole scope of biblical prophecy and especially the entire book of Revelation. Those of you who have been with me as we've gone through biblical prophecy with our Luke 21 broadcast, 
know that I've emphasized multiple times that to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand what is being taught in Revelation chapter 20. And Revelation chapter 20 is not exactly an easy passage of Scripture to understand. That's why you have a fundamental reason why you have these differing major schools of biblical prophecy. It's how they interpret Matthew 20 colors how you understand not only the book of Revelation, but all of biblical prophecy. What you want to do if you run up against a scripture that's unclear or at least difficult to understand, then you want to find a passage that can help you understand that. And so in Revelation 20, this is what we see. This is what John saw. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. This is symbolic language now. And he sees the dragon, that's Satan, the ancient serpent, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, let me tell you about the first week in learning New Testament Greek. The first verb you, you learn is the verb to loose, luo. And then you learn its antonym to bind, deo. Three-letter verbs in Greek, okay? In Matthew 12, 29, what does it say? The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is casting out demons. So there's a change coming to the world. And what, what's happening is that there is going to be a binding so that the strong man's house, which is the entire world that's kept in darkness, can now see light because the strong man is bound. So Revelation 20 and verse 2 is saying in symbolic language the exact same thing Jesus is saying in a very clear way in Matthew 12, 29. He says he bound Satan for a thousand years, threw him in the pit, shut it and sealed it, you know, and locked him away. Now, at the end of verse 3, it says that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years are ended. Now, again, this is very specific, but the word that begins what's called a purpose clause. In other words, Satan is bound, thrown into the pit, locked up and sealed. The strong man is bound. For what purpose? that he can't deceive the nations anymore. It doesn't mean there can't be demonic activity in the world. It doesn't mean there can't be demonic opposition in the world. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that Satan no longer would have the power to deceive. The Great Commission would not work. Jesus wanted his disciples to go into all the world, baptizing and discipling. That wouldn't have worked if the strong man had control of the house. So that's why Jesus had him bound as a result of his first coming. Okay? So that gets us through the first two eras of this world, world history. Then there's a third era, and this one a lot of people don't get. Um, our friends 
who believe in the rapture at any moment, and they are our friends, um, believe that this little while mentioned after uh, at the end of verse three, and I like the old King James, which says um, that after the thousand years are ended, he's loosed not just for a little while. The King James calls it a little season. I, I like that expression. And our rapture at any moment, friends, think that era is in the very distant future. And it's so distant in the future, it's not even a consequence for them, so to speak. But that little season, according to St. Augustine, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, this loosing occurs not way, 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 way distant future and even long after the second coming of Christ. No, it occurs before the second coming of Christ. And again, you use other scriptures to understand what's going on. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, St. Paul talks about a great falling away, a great apostasy, a great darkening coming over the world. And what happens is that in Revelation 20 and verse 2, Satan is bound. Exactly what Jesus is saying about plundering the strong man's house. But before you do that, you have to bind him. But Revelation 20 has just a little bit more to say about this. It says, after a long period of Satan being bound so that he can't deceive the nations any further, it says, after that, he has to be loosed for a little while. Now, just think with me for a minute. This is, this is very clear once you get it. Okay, and I, I have my two hands here, my fingers separated, and I'm going to kind of join my hands, my fingers together, and make a tight fist, okay? They're bound together. And after the long period, represented by the thousand years, after that, he must be loosed for a little while. Well, what, what happens in this third period, this little season, this little while? Well, there's a return in the world to way the world was like before the first coming of Christ. There's a little season, a little time before the second coming when things revert to pre-Christian days. It's a time of great testing. And so at that time, there's going to be a huge portion of the world that had the advantage of walking in the light of Christ that are going to be plunged back into pre-Christian demonic darkness. And you say, well, what is happening in our world? How do you explain? It's almost like a loss of reason and, and morals are just like turned upside down. There used to be laws against certain things and now there's laws for certain things. What is happening? Well, this is what will happen in the little season, and whether or not we're in that, I can't tell you that, but this may be a, either a preview of that season or the actual season when things are reversed back to pagan days. And when this occurs, this I can say, things will get worse during this little season than you could possibly imagine. Because, see, and 
most Catholics are very aware of this, that throughout Christian history, there's been times of spiritual decline. And then those spiritual decline periods are followed by periods of spiritual renewal. And quite honestly, I think there is some pretty serious spiritual decline in the Catholic Church at the time of the Protestant Reformation. You know, what do you do? Do you do renewal or do you split and divide? And you work for renewal. So basically through history, you find these periods of renewal, decline, renewal, decline, renewal, and decline. Now, I've read articles by Catholic writers. I've read Catholic books. I've heard Catholic broadcasts who state accurately what I just did, but claim that all, you know, it's all going to go back to a time of renewal. Well, it may, you know, it's very difficult to know these things. We're not getting given a computer printout of God's timeline, and we don't know the time of the second coming. But we do know that when things flip back to pre-Christian demonic darkness over the Gentile world, that's the time of a little season. Now, whether we're in that or I call it the uh, the preview or the grand rehearsal for that, it seems that's what's going on in our world. And if that's the case, you go through a spiritual decline, it's not followed by a renewal. It's followed by the second coming of Christ. And the state of your soul and my soul, if we happen to be alive at the second coming of Christ, will determine where we go for all eternity. There's not going to be time, well, you know, I'm going to go with the flow. Everybody's kind of walking away from their faith and not practicing their Catholic faith, Christian faith seriously, and that's okay because everybody's doing it and I'm safe in the crowd. No, you're not safe in the crowd, particularly as we approach that end. And Jesus warns in his end of times discourse, he said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Now, for your love to grow cold, that means Christian love grows cold. If you're a pagan or an atheist, you don't have love that's hot to begin with. But there's going to be a cooling off, uh, a falling away. And that's a very dangerous time for that to occur. And then Jesus goes on to say, but he who shall endure to the end shall be saved. Now, you might say, well, Steve, what are you, why are you even mentioning this? I mean, you know, uh, we don't hear a whole lot about this, and uh, why bother with this? Well, Jesus bothered with this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he planted churches, even young churches, and even ones he was there for a fairly short time, taught about the things of the end, because how you view your end has a great impact on how you live today. And here's, a, um, I consider, a very bold prophetic statement from John Paul II. It was when, I think he was a bishop or archbishop. It was before he became a pope. But this is what he said. 
We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. That's a pretty strong statement. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future. And John Paul II warned that he didn't think that uh, we're ready. We have basically, we're kind of half clueless as far as what's happening in our midst. And then I've been digging around homilies that John Paul II gave during the Advent season. I don't know. A lot of times we go through Advent season, we talk about things, about particularly the first coming of Christ. That's what Advent means, coming, and the second coming of Christ. And somehow we miss the reality of it, but uh, St. John Paul II didn't. And here's a homily he gave during Advent. He said, quote, the moment which we are living is maybe very similar to the moment described in today's gospel reading. Folks, these are very bold statements. And what was the gospel reading? It was from Luke 21, verses 25 through 33. What does that say? Well, there's going to be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, uh, the stress of nations in perplexity, uh, men fainting with fear for what's coming on the world, the very powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, look up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then verse 34, hear this very, because there's a practical application to this that's very necessary. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of life, that that day come upon you suddenly like a snare, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Again, from St. John Paul II, the moment which we are living may be very similar to the moment described in today's gospel reading, Luke 21. Now, here's a very practical application and I'm hoping this will help parents, and I'm trying to have something that's very real, that's happening left, right, and center right now. Let's say your Catholic son or daughter is heading off to college. He's a good son, good daughter, uh, been catechized properly, homeschool, Catholic school, whatever. And without being uh, rebellious or disrespectful to you, they ask, say it's your son, uh, well, I'm going off to college and why can't I get an apartment off campus and live together with my girlfriend? Because we want to enjoy relations with each other. And again, he's not trying to, um, you know, speak against the faith or be, you know, rebellious. And he says, besides, you know, 95% of my friends are doing it. And even 90% of my friends who are Catholic, even those who go to Mass every Sunday, are doing it. So why, why can't we do it? So what would you say? Now, there's a lot of things you could say, 
But I'm hoping that before you ever get to that point, you can digest this episode 449 of Faith and Family and teach your children about the binding of the strong man and that there's a little season towards the end of history where things revert back to pagan darkness. So I'm not going to repeat this <laughs> this episode for you, but you say something like this. Remember we talked about those three stages of human history? Well, our world is currently not in a normal condition. It's not working uh, in the way that you see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that people walk in darkness have seen a great light. No, the people who have been walking in the great light have chosen to again walk back in darkness. And it's deceiving people who are even professing faith in Christ. And Jesus warned that even Christians, because there's so much wickedness going on in the world, that they would fall for these things. Now, we can't be sure of this if this is a little season, so to speak, in Revelation 20 when the world returns to that darkness, but at least we're going through a period of time where it's a rehearsal for that era. And St. John Paul II warned us that we need to be careful during this special period of human history. Jesus warned us about this period of human history. St. Paul, in brand new churches with brand new believing Catholics, made a part of his initial teaching of the faith, warning them of a great falling away. And the idea is you don't want to follow the crowd because at some point in history, the vast majority of the crowd of those formerly Christian countries are going to be walking in darkness. And at some point in time, of which we have no advance warning, Christ comes and the state of your soul then is marked for all eternity. Now, there's probably two dozen other reasons uh, to give your son or give your daughter why not to shack up when they go off to college like the majority of their friends are. And what's happening is like there's a big funnel, and social media is very uh, effective at this funnel of making everybody kind of fit into the same flow. And you need to teach them that there are two ways to walk in this time in which God has placed us. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 449 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.